This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Thanks very much for joining us today in the latest episode of Cafe Connect. Uh, So this is a podcast series from the University of Aberdeen. I'm Chris Crowley. I take care of the public engagement with research unit here at the University of Aberdeen. And um, this this series, Cafe Connect, really exists to bring you the latest research and projects at the University of Aberdeen. And we're going to meet different researchers who will talk about the research and its impact on all of our lives. And to a certain extent, this Cafe Connect podcast series is a little bit of a response to the current COVID-19 situation and social distancing. So normally in our cafes, we would invite people to ask questions at the end of a talk, but we really hope that you'll still ask questions and we're happy to take questions which you can email to us at peru at abdn.ac.uk. So that's P-E-R-U at abdn.ac.uk, but I'll read that out at the end again. So today I'm joined by uh, two colleagues. There's Rob Donaldson, who is Executive Director for of Advancement at the University. Hi, Rob. Hi, Chris. Glad to be here. Great. And um, Bill Nafey, who is Professor of History at the University of Aberdeen. Bill's got a personal chair at the University. Um, his background is really Reformation history. He's, he's got great knowledge of Calvin's Geneva, but he has researched on, published on, and talks very widely on witchcraft, plague, um, areas of sexuality in the 16th, 17th century, and also um, has a great passion and interest in research a lot on the, the alumni of the University of Aberdeen. Hi, Bill. Hi there. Okay, so this year, um, in 2020, at the University of Aberdeen, we celebrate our 525th year, um, and there's this whole sort of series of celebrations going on, really celebrating the people of the, the university, the place, and our you know sort of role in the wider wider world and one of the the central planks of this five to five year of celebrations is this current project which is five to five alumni of achievement so rob this was your idea perhaps you'd like to introduce the the project yeah thanks chris um we think it's an exciting way to honor the university's 525th anniversary um as you know my role at the university oversees all of our alumni programs and um, university fundraising and we were looking for a way to celebrate the anniversary by also celebrating the remarkable alumni that the university has produced throughout its history and i think it's probably fair to say that one of the best demonstrations of the impact the university has had over its 525 years and an indication of the high quality of its education is in fact its alumni and so what we're hoping to do is to identify as many of these distinguished alumni as possible, people who've made outstanding contributions to their career, their country, their community, and indeed to the university, um, conduct research on them and uh, select 525 and celebrate them at the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, just just as an initial reaction, I mean, 525 seems like such a, a high number, but of course, given the, the age of the university and the, the number of graduates over that time and the impact that they've had in the world, this, this seems like a, a very achievable number, yeah? I think it's achievable. I mean, um, I've only been at the university for about six months, but what I've learned in that short time is that our alumni have distinguished themselves in every conceivable walk of life throughout history. They're poets, they're playwrights, they're entrepreneurs, they're Nobel Prize winners, they're scientists and business leaders. I mean, literally every walk of life um, they've made major contributions in. So we're not going to have any difficulty assembling the names. I think the, the difficulty will be in actually selecting the 525 because they're there are many, many more than that who are worthy of this honour, I think. 
Indeed, and of course, and that's that's the historical ones as well as the current ones as well. Yeah, that's right. And so we are calling for nominations from the university community and, and many others outside the university. But we, we've also been doing a fair bit of research ourselves, um, particularly through Bill's efforts to identify alumni from the historic era of the university. It's been much easier to find people from the more modern era, the last hundred years or so. Um, but through Bill's efforts and the efforts of others, we've been able to come up with. Um, we have close to seven hundred names already and the nominations are still coming in so um, it's, it's a project that's really caught the imagination I think of the university community and the response has been outstanding really. Yeah so uh, that seems like a, an opportune moment to bring Bill in now so uh, yeah Bill this is something you've done a lot of research on and maybe you'd like to talk us through some of the, uh, the people you've uncovered in this research. Certainly um, I mean my particular interest has been our alumni who are either from abroad and came to us throughout our history or who went somewhere else and had a significant impact outside of the British Isles. Because it seemed to me that's, that's, they're really interesting people because of their mobility. And particularly in the modern age where we tend to think of student mobility and things like that as something that's really modern, realizing how non-modern it is, is always worth being reminded of. So one of the areas I think that that our alumni have had the longest lasting impact is in the area of education. Um, so you have people like John Strachan, who not only was the first Bishop of Toronto, but went on and founded what became the University of Toronto. Um, James Innes, who was the first Superintendent General of Education in what is now South Africa, the Cape of Good Hope. John Chalmers, who produced the first translation of Lao Tzu's Tao Jing. I mean, what a major work of Chinese thought, and he's the one that produces the first English translation. Sir Kai Ho Kai, and here's a perfectly good example of someone from China who comes to us and goes back and founds in 1887 the Hong Kong College of Medicine, which then becomes the core of what is now the University of Hong Kong, and who was also the teacher of Sun Yat-sen, who overthrew the Chinese Empire and established the Chinese Republic. And in, in the same way of sort of Going from abroad and coming here and doing something, you get someone like Sir John Miller, again, a Canadian, comes to us from Ontario in the 1870s. 1895, he founds the London School of Economics. Now that, to me, shows the enduring impact we've had on education. Um, areas like government and law, things, again, that people would never even think of. So one of our, our graduates, Edward Mason, was Attorney General of Greece in the 1830s, right after Greek independence. Um, George Strahan uh, in 1880s, governor of Tasmania. And because with Rob here, who can't mention another Canadian, Bertha Wilson from Kirkcaldy in 1975, one of our philosophy graduates, she becomes the first woman justice on the Canadian Supreme Court. And, and again, you think the enduring impact these people had in areas of law and governance. Medicine, we tend to think of as a major area, but of course, Medicine has changed so much. In some areas, you think it's probably not going to be very enduring because what was medicine for the first two centuries of the university is nothing that we would recognize as medicine today. But someone like Charles Maitland performs the first smallpox inoculations in Britain in the 1720s, well before the vaccine has, is being developed. And um, Augustus Waller, who in 1887, in Paris, and he comes to us from France, although I'm pretty certain he comes from an English-speaking background, 
made the first recorded human electrocardiogram and created the first practical ECG. And again, who, who would have thought that at all? Um, and and it's, it's this movement of students that really fascinates me. As early as 1609, we had Danish students coming to us. Christian and Lawrence Severin are relatives of one of the greatest astronomers in Danish history, and they come as brothers to Aberdeen. Jose Maria Montealegre, who comes with his brother Francisco in the 1830s, they come to study medicine. He goes back to become president of Costa Rica. So again, one of our graduates, a, a president of a country. Uh, Krishnadan Gose comes to us from India in the 1870s. He's the father of Sri Aurobindo, one of the great philosophers of modern India, and also one of the leaders of early nationalism in the late 19th, early 20th century. Nathaniel King from Sierra Leone comes, trains in medicine and goes back to be the first Western educated West African doctor in Nigeria. Um, and since I've only mentioned women so far, and men so far, I thought it'd be worthwhile mentioning a woman. Um, Minnie Blinn, lady comes to us from Connecticut in 1897. Now, unfortunately for family reasons related to her elderly and widowed mother, she ends up having to abandon her studies and goes back to Connecticut. But again, who would have thought of a woman coming all the way from Connecticut to Aberdeen in the 1890s? Well, perhaps, Bill, was there maybe a family connection in their background that brought her in? Nope. No, no, okay. Nope. Right. Not as far as I can tell. Her father was an officer in the Civil War and his family seems to have been in North America well back into the 1700s. Um, and, and that's what's interesting in, in a lot of these students coming to us you can't find a family connection, but occasionally you can find that they had a teacher or a minister somewhere in their background okay. who was from Aberdeen. Not yeah. always, but but quite often you can yeah. find these really strange little connections of somewhere something planted that seed of the, the name Aberdeen in their minds. Charles Lambert, now he's French, he comes to us um, before the First World War, and in the 1930s he's in the French cabinet. Again, who knew that a cabinet minister in France was an Aberdeen graduate? And, and who would have even thought of that as being something that would have made any sense? Why did he come? He comes from a Protestant family in France. He's from a Huguenot family. And obviously, many of their ministers had been trained in Scottish universities. So you can see why. It's not all sweetness and light. So you get someone like William Angus, who comes to to us from Jamaica in 1803, happily goes back and successfully takes over his father's plantation and its 85 slaves. So this is really, this research has really turned up both the good and the bad and the interesting and the bizarre. Um, one of our graduates, for example, was killed by pirates off of, of Malaysia. Um, but you also have great figures. Hugh Mercer, every American's going to know of Hugh Mercer. He's the hero of the Battle of Princeton, an absolutely great figure in American revolutionary history. Um, but you also have the kind of heroic who are forgotten. Alexander Skeen, his wife and two children were killed in the Indian uh, Rebellion of 1857. So uh, again, what, what this has really shown up is, is this sense in which Aberdeen graduates are going out everywhere and doing very interesting and often quite banal things. But, but also people are coming to Aberdeen from all over the world and not only having an impact when they go back, but sometimes 
going somewhere else entirely and having an impact. Or as I said, like John Miller, staying here and founding the LSE. This, I think, suggests that the kinds of things that we think are the hallmark of modern higher education are actually something that have been the hallmark of Aberdeen education since our founding and since records are available um, from the 1590s onwards. Okay, I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, fantastic synopsis of just, just scratching the surface of these uh, alumni bill. Um, and I think there's a really interesting point there about the international connections and the, the flow in and out, because of course, I think when the university was, or when King's College was first set up 525 years ago, it was, to service effectively the, the northeast of Scotland, but it was right next to the Royal Borough of Aberdeen. The Royal Borough of Aberdeen was a trading borough, only Royal Boroughs could trade abroad. So you always had that in, influx of you know people into Aberdeen and they would see this this college building and that, that that's something I mean, I'm, I'm sure that trade connection in the early days maybe helped this. And and I think it's also core to under, important to understand that a normal feature of Scottish education even from the founding of the other ancient universities and ourselves included. You did your first degree in Scotland and then you went to the continent and you did other degrees and very often you then taught or, or served as a doctor or a lawyer and you would come back to Scotland to finish your career. And you see this circle of, of education and career over and over again in our own history, but also in the history of lots of other educated people from Scotland in the 15th, 16th and 17th century. And I think that's that's really important to remember that that it, it isn't just the stray person that does this. The expectation in Scotland is that if you're going to go beyond your first degree, you're going to go somewhere else. You're going to go to France, you're going to go to Germany, you're going to go to Northern Italy, and then you're going to probably go to three or four universities and you're going to teach at one or two. And then maybe you'll come back here and finish your career, assuming you live long enough, which of course is never a given in that period. But the result is, is that if you're a student in Aberdeen, the people teaching you, even in the 1500s, will very often have lived in three or four European countries and have been educated and taught at four, five, six or seven continental institutions. So you as a student are getting the benefit of all of that enormous experience and all of that learned knowledge that's coming on the continent. And that's why, for example, that you get someone like Duncan Little being the first person not only to teach Copernicus in northern Germany, but the first person to teach Copernicus and a heliocentric universe in Scotland. Okay. Yeah. He I starts mean, in Aberdeen and ends up his career here. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, you're right. This, this this international connection is fantastic. And it's it really, you know, it hits a, a point with Aberdeen today, because the University of Aberdeen today is such a diverse and an international community. And the city of Aberdeen to this day still, you know, prides itself in the fact that it is one of the most diverse and international communities in Scotland. And it's something the current Lord Provost of Aberdeen is, is very proud of. So it's, it's good to see that these links have always been there, you know, that we're building on a real a real place of strength there. And I guess what you're touching on there, Bill, is is the the known knowns, the people that we know about and the people that we're we're, we're uncovering from our um, um from our own um researches. But there's also the, the unknowns as well, the the, the people that we that we don't know about, but the people, the families who are out there, the descendants of alumni or current alumni, these are the ones they'll know a whole tranche of other people that we just don't know about. And I guess we want to to get as much of that information in as well. Rob, is there a process that people can 
Yes, there is, uh, Chris. We've we've had a call for nominations um, again throughout the university community to all of our alumni, to a number of uh, community organizations, historic societies, uh, things like that. The deadline for nominations is June the nineteenth, um, and we're planning on um, hiring a researcher to assist us with um, uh, reviewing the names and augmenting the information we have. Um, but there will be a process once all the information is compiled we will have quite a large review committee to survey all of these um, submissions and and score them and we'll try to come up with um, uh, a short list and then uh, distill it down to 525 distinguished alumni that'll be the challenge i think yeah. no question about it but that's the process uh, we'll have a lot of input from alumni and people at the university uh, and then at the end of it all we're hoping to publish um, either um, a book or magazine format um, with all the bios and images of these uh, recipients. There'll be a digital version of that as well. We'd like also to install a plaque on campus with the names of the 525 alumni of achievement um, because they, it will be a remarkable story to tell of, um, of the university's contributions, not only to Scotland, to making it a more vibrant and um, strong country, but also, as Bill has pointed out, to the world. I mean, there's just remarkable contributions all over the world. Yeah, um, I, I mean, of course, Bill, you, you you pointed out Hong Kong, and I mean, there, there's there's something <laughs> around the Far East. There's there's you know, such a well known story of so many sons of the Northeast going out to there. You know, Thomas Blake Glover, Patrick Manson, all pulling in in so many different directions. But um, I guess my my. I was getting around to asking a question here, something that, that Rob touched on, is that sort of notion of verification when people come through with this information. I mean, Aberdeen is, is blessed with historical records and a really deep, complete set of historical records in the city archives and some fantastic um, um, archive collections in the university as well. So, um, you know, Rob mentioned that we'll be hiring a historian and, and you're working on it yourself. So maybe you could talk us through a little bit of that, that process of verification. Well, you're right. We're, we're incredibly fortunate to have a, a, what is really a, a matriculation graduation rolls intact really from the founding of Marshall College. We don't really have the first century of Kings, but the two colleges, the records more or less are intact from the point at which Marshall starts. So we have this enormous run of records, but very often we tend to just have the name and maybe a footnote because these were all sort of all published up in the late 19th century. And we kind of need to know more. And, and there we're really reliant on things, for example, like dictionaries of national biography. So obviously there's the one in, in Britain, but there's, you know, Canada has one, Australia has one, New Zealand has one, France has one. Those, those are places that it's, it's very easy to say, okay, we, we know enough about this person when they were here kind of a guess at their age, that we can then look at a dictionary of national biography or another source and say, yeah, even if even if all of it says they, and quite often this is all it will say is, they then went to Scotland and studied. Well, we know, okay, well, they went to Aberdeen and studied. And that tends to give us much more information in particularly what happened after they were here. In an enormous amount of, of detail and particularly what they did in, in their country that they went to, for example, you get a lot more detail than we would ever have otherwise. Okay, Bill, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little conscious that maybe some of our listeners might not be as familiar with different dictionaries of national biography as we are, but just to maybe mention that they, you know, they, these are, uh, you know, they were often started in the 19th century, the 
there's a current new dictionary of national biography in, in the United Kingdom produced by the University of Oxford and they're produced by professional historians who are, you know work on specific areas so the the, the articles the bio, the short biographies that they provide of major figures are all footnoted and verified so there there's a, a good stepping stone I think is maybe the point bill yeah and and most of them are now available online which is lovely so so they are relatively easy to access um what I think we need, and this is where the process we're going through is, is so important now, is we have considerably less material on people, say, in the last 60, 70 years. Um, and, and that's just a function of the fact that they're unlikely to have shown up in a dictionary of national biography so far. And so we need people to say, oh, did you know? Here's, here's my grandfather was at the university and this is what he went on to do with his life. You know, I worked with, with this, this lady and, and she was really successful in this law firm and had this impact. That's the kind of stuff that we, we really don't know. So we don't know where to go look in the first place. With the historic ones, we have the names, we have more or less their dates. So we've got some place to start, something to start with. Once we've got that other information from people, then we can use a lot of the same types of resources that are available to find out more about them, to flesh out their lives and their careers so that we can then sort of make a decision about the, the final 525 that we want to put together. But that's why it's so critical to have people making these nominations because otherwise we are really dependent on what we have from our, our own records. And that really is nothing in the last 60 or 70 years. We really need people to nominate. And indeed, and we want the alumni themselves to be very much part of this. And I guess the other real benefit you get from the alumni and, and recent alumni and, and talking about their own fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, what have you, is you'll get the family connection and you'll get objects, photographs, letters, the, the, the ephemera that wouldn't come through in, a, in an official archive um, or through a dictionary of national biography. And, and Rob, I guess that will be great material that hopefully we can draw on for the, the book. Yes, the photographs and images of the recipients of the honour we'll, we'll definitely need for the publications, um, both digital and print, for sure. Um, but, you know, I think this um, end product can be a major contribution to the archives of the university. I mean, this is now an historic record of um, a collection of really remarkable alumni that will be there for future generations. So it's um, it has that added benefit as well. And I think maybe a, a second benefit, and, and this time perhaps uh, just as important, um, to me, this is one of the good news stories that we have during this COVID crisis at the university. I mean, there's so many challenges people are facing. To be able to celebrate the achievements of a group of remarkable people, I think, is um, is the tonic that we all need during these times. Well, I think I think what we definitely should do is is after this and and once we have our five two five is we should do another podcast for the Cafe Connect series later on and then reflect on some of the you know these names that we didn't know and some of the the material that's come through that that'd be a really useful thing to do. So in the meantime, I mean, thanks very much to both of you. But um, Rob, do you, do you want to finish with a call to arms for people to get involved? Definitely, uh, we need a call to action here. Um, we encourage anyone who's listening to the podcast to uh, consider nominating a distinguished graduate of the university tell your friends and colleagues as well um, the way to do that is to go to the university's website abdn.ac.uk slash 525 alumni and all the particulars will be there the uh, the nomination form um, the deadline is june the 19th as i mentioned um, we'll be somewhat flexible on that um, but uh, we would encourage people to uh, 
to talk to their elders and, um, you know, scour the history books and uh, come up with some uh, nominations for us. Uh, it, it's a great project and it'll be a wonderful celebration at the end of the uh, the year. Okay, well, thanks very much, um, Bill and Rob. That, that's great. And um, if anybody's got any questions, of course, they can ask them by emailing peru at abdn.ac.uk. So P-E-R-U at abdn.ac.uk. And in the meantime... Thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Good to see you both. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.